recorded as, as the wonderful lady at Zoom has said. So this is Office Hours 21. Uh, we have uh, a wonderful group here today. Very exciting. Uh, we're going to do just tradition. 21, we're going to hold our hands up. We're going to do this right again. We get everyone go. Leon, I'm watching that finger. Right finger. Good, good. <laughs> good. Okay. Beautiful. So I have a couple topics today. A little time constrained uh, in a good way. Good things are are, are coming. But um, uh, we do this every 12 p.m. Every Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, surrounded by lovely people and really just debriefing, reflecting, also looking forward and and, and sharing insights on the week and hopefully creating um, you know some 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 good resources or I guess a, a, a capture of time for what we've been building at Speak AI. Uh, I guess quickly just uh, introduce yourself. Little any thoughts? Um, just brief off the top, and then we got some good topics to go about today. So um, who wants to jump in? Who's off mute? Leon, you win. Go ahead, sir. I didn't even have time to mute myself, but here I go. Uh, <laughs> I'm Leon, um, been transient uh, at Speak here doing uh, product work, strategy work, design work, um, and, uh, and other fun things. So uh, jumping in, put out fires where, where it needs to be done. Beautiful. Okay. Nihal. Uh, hey, I'll Nihal. jump in. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, digital strategist to speak, uh, help with everything from the website to writing copy to helping uh, figure out our marketing plan moving forward as well. All right, I'm Lauren. I'm uh, doing some uh, finance work, helping out with administration, HR, and all sorts of business functions. I'm Tyler Bryden. Uh, very excited to be here. Uh, one of the creators of SPKI. <sighs> Balancing act right now of customers and success and then investors and all this wonderful stuff at once. But it's also beautiful days out. I've been doing a lot of rollerblading, running, enjoying life, and spending time with good people. Uh, that's all. Awesome. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm a CTO at SPKI. I'm working on uh, a couple of things, including the security DevOps, uh, full stack developer, and also spending a lot of time in the voice and uh, AI machine learning community. Beautiful. Okay, who wants to kick this off? Um, do we have a topic that we agree that we want to talk about first? Is there anything that sticks out? No? Okay. No one's really going to fight for the mic here? Start with the onboarding flow then. Okay. That's a big piece coming next week, so that's a crucial. I think then, I don't know. Okay, so I guess we just quick context around the onboarding flow. This has been, uh, <laughs> this has been a, I would say, to the detriment of Speak AF for a long time has been that you uh, sign up for this application. You're already probably a little bit curious about what you're actually signing up for. <laughs> and then you just get redirected to this dashboard you know, with no onboarding, uh, you know, these crazy sort of complex visualizations that at the time have no visualizations there. So it sort of becomes this weird place that you, uh, you know, <laughs> land in. And I've had that, you know, you, you get conditioned to your own app. And so like when you log in, you don't think about it, but I've had the experience of seeing some people sign up for the app. Like this is confusing. And like, this is, just, it hurts to also watch people do. And so luckily with the, uh, the great help some foot stamping by Leon say, this is, you know, this is what we gotta, this is what we gotta, we gotta prioritize this. Cause this is the first impression for our application. We've really done a lot of work to design 
strategize, develop a flow for the onboarding and very excited to see that come together. We have had a little demo today from Tim, uh, Leon. It was awesome. Um, fantastic work. And uh, we'd love to hear, Leon, maybe some thoughts of, from you coming in from the perspective, having that, you know, your the rough auto, uh, onboarding experience at Speak, but then now the approach that you've took into this and then anyone else can jump in after that. All right. Um... I'll just ignite the fire then. Uh, with, with, with regards to speak onboarding, I don't recall what the current state is or was, but I do, I do remember that it was suboptimal and there's a lot of work that could be done. Um, that's the beautiful part, right? There's always things that we're learning and we're, things that we're improving on. Um, and when I came, I guess, on board here, uh, not to use a pun there, but when I came on board to speak, I realized that there was so much work that could be done everywhere. And so I was like, Tyler, in the, in the given amount of time that we're working together, what are the most important things that we're going to be doing? So onboarding was actually not a priority for me because I know that um, it's, it's more of a bigger project if we want to blow out the scope. Uh, however, uh, it seemed like with this new release, we're also trying to uh, mesmerize our new audience, our customers, and um, and really reduce that friction from acquisition to activation. So as a PM, obviously my natural thinking hat moves towards, you know, how do we make that door a lot more friendlier to, I always allude to building construction, right? Um, where somebody walks near or around a building, the marketing attracts them to the building, but then when they see the door, they're like, ah, this door is impossible to open. I can't, I just can't, manipulated the way that it should open. And if that door itself is not welcoming, it's not usable or, or smooth, then, um, then it's a bounce right away, right? I'm gonna move to the next building. No matter how good the food that you serve in the restaurant is, I can't open the damn door. So onboarding is one of those things where it not only sort of um, reduces friction from activation to, sorry, from acquisition to activation, but also should be able to provide just enough value upfront to get them intrigued about what we're doing. So in my experience, I've seen the best onboarding experiences where it's, it's almost like an educational piece without doing a full lecture on it. You know, how do you, in, in the shortest time period possible, get users to um, do something, interact with the core value of the product? Uh, so give you know, what you see is what you get type of web builders you get, like the onboarding itself is helping you uh, generate your first website, or at least the template of the website, right? Even placeholder content you can change afterwards, but it shouldn't be like, welcome to a website builder and, and uh, why are you here? And then throw you under the bus and say, now go build your website or cheering you on. Um, that is a suboptimal onboarding. And so an optimal onboarding is like, how do you give that value up front without spending too much time on it? So we're looking for sort of a delicate balance. And at Speak, what we've recognized was that we want to be able to deliver value up front. And in the new, um, I think, experiment that we're having starting uh, mid midweek next week is to see how much can we increase that activation rate? Um, how sticky can we make the product from sort of day zero, so to speak? Uh, and then, and then from there on, we can then measure retention. Um, and, you know, uh, are we actually delivering value after they've captured the first piece of content?
Beautiful. Vatsal, Nihal, Lauren, any thoughts on the uh, on some of the changes coming on the onboarding? Yeah, okay, I'll jump in. And uh, I mean, the overall goal is to get, uh, is like more activation. And it's like, there are a lot of things to do on, from onboarding also from, even once you onboard, there's a creation process. Okay, once you created, there is a setting process and it's like the dots all are connected. And uh, 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 there's, a, there's a, a lot of room to cover uh with the with the limited source and the limited uh, capabilities in terms of the time but what leon and team both both of them including nihal on the content side is like put a lot of work uh on the onboarding process from the strategy from the tracking the events and understanding how it's gonna work and how it's gonna improve and 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 i personally also learn a lot of things throughout the process because sometimes you trust your intuitions and, and sometimes you need to go with the data and see how does that work and doesn't work. Uh, so that's very interesting. And I'm also reading a book uh, called uh, Cross, Crossing the uh, Chasm and it's like from, from Jeffrey. Uh, and it's like pretty, pretty interesting book to see where do we stand as a company? And uh, he, he categorized into the different users because you need to get the early customers and early customers don't expect them to be uh, sort of a late majority slash the retention you or maybe you know it's like they're not gonna come up on your application every day so you need that sort of a, a categorizations and understanding of the different user adoptions life cycle so that's a very interesting read to see uh, because sometimes we see the fight and users on board and we, we think that they are the, uh, you know, they are going to be subscribed for one year plan or five year plan, but things doesn't go that way. And you need, you need to have that understanding about separating the users when it comes to the activations and the retention. That's a very gray line in between that, but uh, that's, that's, a, that's an important part of the whole onboarding process. Yeah, it's something I was curious about too. Would you have like separate onboarding for like different uh, types of customers? Like say you just have like more of like a hobbyist, would you have like an entirely different onboarding experience for them compared to like a team? Or is it all just, you want to make sure it's you know, as wide as wide as a net as possible? Uh, I mean, maybe it's not my place to say, but from where, from what I've seen from other apps, for instance, is even I believe Leon, uh, Tim was showing me Lunch Club, uh, and what they do is they basically ask you like, "What's your what's your use case, or what are you interested in? What communities are you interested in?" And then it kind of takes you, I guess it connects you. I mean, in that particular case, it connects you with people that fit into those same similar interests. But um, ideally, what we could do at some point is if someone's coming in for a transcription for you know and they're a journalist all right we can build out a dedicated uh, onboarding flow for them like with information that's relevant to their specific use case uh and similar for other use uses as well uh, at least that's how i see it uh i'm not sure how difficult that would be to do in app but at least from a communication and email perspective we could probably build that out relatively not, not easily, but with a bit of thought and, uh, you know, getting more information from our users, we could definitely build out more informational-based campaigns. 
yeah. yeah. To add a couple points to it, um, here we have MVP onboarding, but onboarding itself, generally speaking, at a larger or more mature company, usually is treated as a product of its own. Um, you have PMs dedicated to the onboarding itself, right? And there's a success metric, and there's there are also measurements um, along the way. And so when you blow up the scope like crazy, um, I think one of the hardest onboarding processes is uh, no code app called Bubble. Um, it's basically an academy, and you have to go in and learn a whole bunch of stuff before you can actually use the product. But there's also simple onboarding with Facebook, right? Their their idea is to get you like share your first thing as soon as possible. Um, Lawrence, a very good question. I think what we will get there. We will get to like choose your own adventure one day. Um, but we're at this like baby step for now. Uh, MVP level onboarding, which is can we deliver value, um, activate users. And, get them to create their first interaction to speak as quickly as possible. Beautiful. Yeah. And Lauren, we have like a, you know, a set of, I mean, it's really interesting what you can do, different sets of triggers that can create different email flows and automations. If someone creates an embeddable recorder and they don't create anything else, that's like a very unique use case that they're looking for and a problem that they're trying to solve, which is different than someone who's coming in uh trying to do 30 interviews and then find patterns between those interviews and again this is the fun part of our product but then also the challenging part is that both of those opportunities are possible uh and i i think in general the idea of where we've moved towards in life is this idea of personalized things so the more that we can personalize the experience the information how to be successful within our application experience the better our whole our whole product and our whole offering is going to be. And I think we can find fans within small sub segments of the product uh, and, and hopefully drive growth, growth overall. Um, trying to think of anything else to add here. Is there anything else that anyone wants to add on, I guess, on the onboarding part um, specifically before we can jump, we, we jump on to another topic. Excited to see, excited to experiment, excited to get some results. It's been awesome to go through the process. The team has been very focused, quiet. We're missing Tim today. Tim loves these office hours, but he's working uh, hard. And so, you know, that that's that's really meaningful. Uh, and it's also been great to see, like, uh, we all had this timeline that we wanted to do this on, and that's, like, helped us prioritize these things. And, and like, there's been some great of, like, no, we're going to wait until we get the data. And then we <laughs> And then we will make this change. So that's been uh, that's been really interesting to see the team rally around something. And I felt, you know, and it, it, the team has been very aligned and focused, which which, which is awesome. So um, I guess just I work in this in this in this trend of sort of onboarding. And one of the other things that's emerged for us is a great opportunity to work with uh, an organization who wants to help us with some customer research. And Leon was originally supposed to um, actually take on this role, but uh, but then we inundated him with other things uh, like this onboarding, which became very high priority. But this opportunity has reemerged. One of my things that I'm most excited about, we cleared it right, at, right up at the end of the call was that this organization is actually going to help cover the incentives <laughs> to get these uh, uh, interviews done. So they're looking for six to eight interviews uh, with people who are using our app. And, and we're just trying to figure out how can we make that the most worthwhile, obviously for our customers, but then also for the insights that we get back. And I guess just, you know, as we're sort of finalizing what that engagement looks like, is there any thoughts from the team of like, obviously no names of customers or anything like that, but is there anything specifically that you think is most valuable or most high priority for us right now of where we should focus these six to eight interviews and what we're trying to get back? 
uh, just narrowing down like which features they get the most value from, which they don't like at all. Just um, I think probably the thing I'd be curious most about is what they hate the most, just so we can try and make them not hate it as much. Not hate is always a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> we got, uh, you know, we got, and even Vatsal and I had an experience with one of our customers today uh, showing us some of the way that she was using the platform and like, you know, there was just things that she didn't even know were in the platform that were like big components of value ads for what she exactly was trying to do. And then also throughout that conversation, so much to merge in a, a field of request that she had that she found valuable, but like, it's like, how do you, this is a little bit off, but it's like, how do you, like, how do you prioritize out of those requests that you actually take action upon? How do you validate that when it's such a big value add for one customer, but how do you consider those factors? And then how can you spread that across all your customers, knowing there are different use cases to decide what you should be building next? Um, so that's probably not going to go right to our, this customer research part, but just really fascinating as you have a conversation like that today and also see how someone's using an application and some of the breakdowns and what's valuable and what's not, and probably things that they hate too. Yeah, I'll hop in. It's like I was, I was listening uh, a couple of, uh, uh, not the product manager, but very executive level people from from the top uh, hundred companies. And and one point I realized is like you just need to understand what is your company stage. If you are in the early stage company, you need to make the decision, and uh, you you should have the different sort of a mindset. You cannot work like like the companies who have like five year runway or ten year runway, and it's like they have they have enough time to do the product research. Uh, wait until you get the data. Uh, you would be out of the business if you are in the early stage company, and that's that's pretty much I know from my guts. And uh, if if I'm running a business and if I will wait for another year to fetch the data, do the product research, wait for six months, I would be out of the business. As I mean, in in a year because there are a lot of product emerging nowadays we all know with this copy AI thing and what's going on with this content creation part. So there's a very high chance uh, in my view related to the product research. It's a great, but you need to understand what stage are you in? And if you miss that part, then it's, I, I mean, that's a, that's a very, very uh, uh, red zone uh, I, I would put in. Uh, but, and sometimes when this request emerge, I also think in a way that, okay, how many type of customers do we have with the same profile? Okay, how, okay, we got, let's say 10 users. So can we multiply that 10X, which is going to help us to grow the business, but also activate more users. So there are two sides. It's like one is on the product research and another is on how many same profile do we have on the account? And if you put that feature request, can we, can we get more customers in that same direction? Is that a time worth it? And even if we if we make happy to that one user at a time, that would convert to the long term contract. So that's that's always sort of a balance to see how you want to run a business. Because with the technology perspective, the things all is always possible. It just takes time. But the reason is okay. How is it affecting the business? Is it in week or month or a year? So that's that's my two cents on on from all different this learning and listening from these people is like how they made a mistake and don't make the same mistake if you are in that stage. 
No, no, just I'll add, I guess, you know, in that, in that meeting, we talked about like, oh, is this valuable to you? Is this valuable to your customers? And the answer was yes. But I guess, you know, Leon, we talked about it one time, but it's like, how valuable is it? And if it's truly that valuable, there should be a willingness to pay. So there's the difference between like validation of like, this is cool or this is valuable, but then, oh, I'm willing to pay or invest in this because it's that valuable. So that's a big difference um, uh, as well too. And and so Leon, maybe any, th any thoughts, I guess, on this customer research process and then how that's even looked at or factored in of great, we could get all these insights back, but how does the factor of, you know, what is the uh, value in terms of a dollar amount so that we can actually have the capacity to invest in it um, fit into this whole picture? Yeah, there's, there's two ways I would approach this. Like there's a face value way where we talk about the tactical aspect of the six to eight interviews and how it helps us. But then there's also a more 30,000 30, feet um, global view of how how this process itself is important for companies and at what stage so i'm gonna tie together what you just mentioned there tyler as well as what batsel mentioned um in relation to how products are built and what stage of companies are in and how research may or may not help um, in my past life i was a user researcher and i had done user research not only at my own startup level which i've co-founded um so there, you know, like everything is detrimental or um, really, really important to every decision was detrimental or extremely important for um, making the next decision, right? For that company, as it was really early stage. So I brought in my research expertise um, early on. Again, th these are kind of founder profiles, like different founders of different strengths. And, um, and one of the things that I think as a universal truth, as a founder, is that you're building something and you're talking to your potential users all the time. And talking to them has a very strategic approach to it. Uh, it isn't chasing something they all want or attitudinal feedback, but it's also about sort of understanding their behavior and, and then sort of, let's say they have a piece of puzzle that's missing a piece. Um, that is where the product market fit concept or solution to problem fit concept comes in. So as you build, 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 you talk, talk, talk. So there's a, there's a back and forth going, right? And so those are two, two real, really important things. You talk to customers either before you build something so you understand their pain points, or you have a hypothesis, you build something to talk to people to validate it. Um, it's a, it's a, that type of macro approach. And, um, and so given my background and experience in user research, mostly worked in enterprise uh, and bit on the, on the agency level or consulting level, but mostly enterprises because only enterprise have the time and the money and the capacity, the resources to invest in this, right? User researchers are more expensive than user and UX designers. They're more strategic. They are more upstream. They work cross-functionally with product managers and the UX teams. They actually belong to the product division in the company, not necessarily in the design division. Companies are sort of build their own structure in different ways. There are also design researchers that focus on the design, the, the evaluative aspect of like, is this working well? We've built something, let's do some usability testing. That's more design research. The user research is more of a business and product function. And so um, one, of, one of my pushes actually, uh, or one of the reasons why I became a PM was because as a user researcher, I realized there was a lot of, um, a lot of 
decisions that should be made more upstream about how to how to empower and deploy these these techniques. So the product, basically the POs or the product, the product owners and the product managers were not doing their job well enough. So that incentivized me to become a product manager because coming from design, I understand the value of it. And so now we can balance out, right. Uh, a, a better system where we can leverage these insights and data qualitatively mostly. So that's one of my incentives personally, why I became a PM is because as a user researcher, I realized that they weren't doing a good enough job. They were not, they were tuned out of the entire outside world they were just building something in-house and assuming that it will work um, and enterprises are notorious for not being very innovative uh, and as well like 90 percent of startups fail either due to lack of marketing or distribution but also because they never bother to figure out what they were building was matching a demand or matching a problem that needs to be solved at the moment um, so that's the macro perspective bringing us down to sort of the tree in the forest um, with six to eight customer calls or interviews, it's going to be very tactical. Unfortunately, it won't be very holistic. It just does not summarize the whole market of, of depending on how we slice the market and total and the total available market, right, like a TAM, it's not going to be enough to tell us data around voice technologies or transcription itself. There's just so much more nuance within it. So I think it's more of a tactical approach and we, we can use it, prioritize the six to eight I would push for eight. Um, ideally, I could go for 10 since we're not the one paying, but um, we could edit that part out. But I, I would push for the higher end of it and try to make it as tactical as possible to solve one real um, goal or objective that we have in the coming quarter, I would say. Because by the end of the um, engagement, I think we're looking at mid to late August when they submit uh, their analysis. In my opinion, it's bit slower on the slower end and I understand it's you know it's a pro bono sort of thing and it's a pilot with us but it's still a bit slower and so by the time we want to implement or act upon the, those um, insights or decisions that would be like September and so that's the last quarter of the year right so hopefully um, we can we can align across the team with what the goal and objective of this specific tactical research study is um, Tyler brought up the embeddable recorders previously. I think that's a good initiative. Um, is that the highest value or highest priority thing that we could be leveraging this uh, study for? And I'll leave it open-ended here and we can talk about that. It hurts when you know when you, you dis describe that because you're right. Like August, where it's going to be basically the end like September when we really get the synthesized results of everything here. And it's like what we then select to focus on needs to remain relevant, knowing that the results will be delivered in, in that time. Uh, so it definitely adds another layer. Like we hadn't seen the timeline originally when we were sort of philosophizing about what thing was best to, to focus on in the embeddable recorder is an amazing one because we have a page that's converting at a high percentage. We're ranking high on Google and we're seeing signups come from it in an accelerating batch. But at the same time, for us to convert that to a, a, a huge business success um, re requires a lot and a lot and a lot of those wins. So as you said, and as we talked a little bit about, like, is there, there's other con sort of engagements that have emerged that are significant scale larger than embeddable recorder 
that seem like they will remain consistent, not just in a couple months, but as a core foundational offering of the business, which is again, maybe, maybe it's the transcribe, you know, 30 interviews at once, visualize and understand what's happening within all those interviews and producing output that then could be shared in a compelling way. Um, so I, I, I don't have an answer here for you, but I, I just appreciate the, the thing <laughs> sort of broke my brain as you were like, oh yeah, we need to be looking into the future here of knowing when these results are going to be back. So I'd be interested just here quick, quickly from the team, like what, is there anything in your mind doesn't need, need to be the final answer, but like that you really want to learn right now that you think is going to have the biggest, most exponential impact on the growth of Speak AI and us delivering value through the technology. Um, oh, what I'm most curious yeah. about, sorry, Neil, I'll <laughs> no, jump okay. in. Um, it's a bird. What I think okay. would be most most important to know is um, not just like a matter of like how they use the uh, the product and the service and all that, but more like what their day-to-day -day looks like. And like, uh, maybe I'm just piggybacking on what Leon's already said here, but like how much they would actually use it in their day-to-day, -day, like looking at what they actually go through every day and uh, whether or not, you know, if uh, Speak actually composes like a large amount of time in their workflow um, and like whoever of those people that we go and talk to, like whoever really uses it the most, I feel like we should probably give them the most attention. Um, also, just a question too, like uh, if we did like three interviews as opposed to six, would that shorten the time span too? Or is it all just a matter of it's going to take months just to get back like even one response? I think again, maybe the, the, the there is a little bit of a, a pace that's, you know, everyone wants to see speed up. But I think, you know, Leon would probably know more than that. But I think six to eight is a larger data set to then find sort of connections or patterns or emerge insights out. Um, so that seems very traditional and yeah, less interviews would definitely probably speed up the process a little bit, but I don't even know. I think it would speed up the process this. I think it's just limitations of the team and the way that they're operating and offering this service as sort of a case study to, to, to us. Yeah. And uh, I mean, in, in usability testing where, where we're, we're testing the, the, like usually it's, it's something that happens after design uh, has finalized something and then we build a prototype to test it before we put it in code. Um, which is some, not something that we do here anyway, but in usability testing, match number is five because at four, four out of five people or five out of five people or users that are going through the same prototype that you made will have shown you 80 to 85% of all the friction and the confusion within that specific uh, journey that prototype you've designed. Um, with user interviews, it's harder to say. It's really... Again, it's, it's, it goes back to, I'll put it this way. Here's a structure. You start with problem statement. What have we identified as a problem that we all want to look into? Um, therefore, insights are required, right? And then with the problem statement, we set a hypothesis for ourselves. Um, if, you know, if we do this and that were true, what does that result look like? And how does that inform us to move on to the next steps to build or not build something or, or, or you know, change something? It all relates to road mapping in the end. And then the third thing we want to do is validate our assumptions through interviews. And maybe six to eight is enough. Maybe it isn't enough. I really don't know because we haven't defined the problem statement yet. Um, so so it, it's a, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't really answer the question. But I do believe um, three is not enough to offer statistical, statistical significance um, in this regard. 
Ratzel, Nihal, any thoughts? What do you want to know? What's the burning questions for you right now that as we undertake these interviews, that would be, you know, very helpful for you in your role, but then also like the overall growth of the company? I think one thing that we're seeing, for instance, on the um, market, what's called the marketing or acquisition front is why are some of these people that are inquiring to have demos or are finding our app, why exactly do some of the bigger name players in the game not suit their needs? Right. Uh, I think we find some pretty useful uh, insights into why certain people are leaving uh, other platforms or, or looking for alternatives to either integrate into their workflow using those platforms or switching over completely. And what exactly are those reasons and how do we capitalize on, on those reasons, right? Like, because those reasons become our differentiating factor because like, like we've discussed in the past, uh, when it comes to speech to text, uh, accuracy, uh, all the platforms for the most part are more or less on par. Right, when it comes to automatic speech uh, speech recognition. So what are those differentiating factors? How do we make speak the system that solves those different, those problems that they're trying to fix? And how do we educate people on how uh, speak better solves those problems for them than some of our competitors? So, uh, you know, for, on the content front, for instance, if Otter is literally just focusing on here's how you can transcribe your meetings. Maybe the problem we're trying to solve is how do you transcribe a year's worth of meetings, right? How do you make that easy to transcribe in one place? Um, what does that workflow look like? We actually, and actually building out these educational workflows for people um, that help them solve their problem. Because I, I find when people do kind of top level, you know, top of funnel searching for products, it, it might not be very, like they're not looking for information necessarily, but at the same time, they're not really high converting con customers anyways, right? Like at, at the top of the funnel, they're probably not looking to commit right away. But uh, speaking to like the embeddable recorder, for instance, you know, just making some changes to our page uh, took us from, I, I think we were on like the second page of Google and now we're second for like embed audio, embed voice recorder into website, right? Because that's a very bottom of the funnel search term, like they're looking for a very specific use case. And the more of those differentiating factors that we can find, the better it is for us to build out our marketing funnel and like our marketing materials. Um, but I think it'll also help us on the product side as well, because uh, we don't really have the resources necessarily to do like in-depth user research. So the best we can do at this point is just try to bring as many people with problems to our site and to our platform and then see how we can solve those issues. So I, I think for me, the, the one big thing would kind of be differentiating factors. So, you know, in an interview, if we ask them, have you used other transcription services or like, have you used other analysis platforms? And if so, what did you like about those platforms? And what did you not like about those platforms as well? And does speak have anything that you do like that those platforms don't have? Smart. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> That's a shot. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, I wanted to see things a little differently. So for example, if that's a quarter three 
the whole quarter to do the user research and we will get the output probably end of the quarter, right? Or yeah. So it's like, okay, we are not going to develop anything in the in, in, in the quarter three, it's just going to be the user research. So we don't need to see the problems we have today and tomorrow. Uh, the speech to text or let's say uh, the embeddable recorder, those gonna be resolved in quarter three. We'll have the whole different layout or maybe the whole different functionality about the embeddable recorder. So that's not the biggest problem we are trying to resolve. I, I was thinking as a, okay, if I invest in quarter three, what is the return of that investment in quarter four? Not just in quarter four, but quarter one, 2022. And, and for me, the, the big side and, and the bigger picture is like, okay, what industry I want to go behind? Okay, that's individual or enterprise or B2C or B2B. Okay, let's choose one. Let's say we wanted to go behind B2B in quarter one, 2022. Okay. Let's say that's enterprise and we wanted to run analysis on, on the large media library, put it on the websites, or maybe even giving them the whole, a one later conclusion, sorry, one doc of conclusion that, okay, these are the insights we found from all your media across your account, which is not doing any of the companies in my knowledge so far. So that's a problem everyone's trying to resolve because everyone's creating this audio, video, and text, basically unstructured data every single day. And it's like at one point, everyone want to understand what's exactly going on behind the scenes. Like, what are we looking for? And maybe solving that problem, that, that is still the hypothesis, right? We, we just, that's, that's a whole part of the user research is that, is this correct? If you wanted to invest the whole quarter in creating this media library, is it worth it or not? And that's, that's a big project to take on. Uh, uh, the whole media library in terms of the security uh, and also giving them an ability with the with the UI UX piece is a whole different story. Uh, so yeah, if that makes sense, it's like picking the industry, going to the biggest problem, helping in the quarter four and quarter one, 2022, and not solving tomorrow's problem because we all know that how much we, we, we put in the system in quarter one and quarter two, right? With running with a strict timeline for good, uh, but a lot of things will already change. So it's like how they are choosing the button or how they are using the speak might not solve the problem because the whole UI would be different in quarter three, just an example. So then the whole research of the, the whole three months, I don't know how might it be helpful in the quarter four because everything has changed. So I was just looking at the biggest problem that help business in quarter four, not even, sorry, quarter one, 2022. Makes sense, Vassal. Makes sense. Uh, just to put in a, um, a for context, basically, when I was working for Canada Post Digital mm -hmm. uh, as a as a UX researcher, we had four UX researchers on the team that wow. was spread across like maybe twelve different products and uh, and things, including website, mobile apps, different marketing tools, um, enterprise level, or even consumer shipping applications, like digital shipping online, right? Then we had this blue sky problem that we wanted to solve, kind of like what you described. It's like, if we were to revamp our entire tracking system, what would that look like? Um, how do we compete against UPS and FedEx? And, uh, and Shopify back then didn't have a, a tracking system, but they quickly, quickly destroyed Canada Post because they just have unlimited resources um, and lots of, lots of good paying customers. But uh, so we did a blue sky approach and we had set aside, I don't want to disclose the number, but it was uh, definitely in the six figures mm. for a specific consultancy to take on that project. 
and they, they assign, I think, three UX, you know, not only UX, but um, market researchers slash user researchers slash um, moderators. And these were like in lab settings that they had done a four month long, longitudinal research. Um, so I think to take on that sort of in industry or market level um, problem, to tackle that kind of problem, it's more of a blue sky thing. And it's like, what's the most strategic thing we should be doing for the next two quarters? That would, that would require a lot of investment and budget and like an out, out external team to do it. I mean, back then we had four people. We still, we still were focused on the tactical things. Like when we built something, can we just validate it quickly and shift the design, make sure there's no problems with it. And then we can engineer it. But with Blue Sky stuff, stuff like this, it's more of a, like a strategy consulting type of approach. And it will, it will take much more than six to eight user interviews um, you know, on a pilot project just to set some context. And, um, and to resonate with what you said, I think it's really, really important. Uh, and we will get there right? when we get our um, yep. funding coming in. We'll get there. Yeah. And, I, and I also absolutely echo your point about this, this like the whole quadrant to do the user research. At uh, our scale, it's a, it's a quite bit of consuming consumption of our time. You know, it's it's pretty long because we we get the results, we digest it, we we engineer it, and then we deploy yeah. it. It's a, a long time. Yeah, like we, the problem that we've initiated or we've agreed upon may not even exist in three months. Uh, exactly, like just, it, it's possible. It's highly possible, and things shift around so much. And so, um, and I did bring that point up during the engagement call, mm. um, their feedback was basically that this was their uh, capacity. I think what Tyler said, this is how they were able to run this. And it's okay, that's fine. I mean, we, we can't say no to, to um, pro bono services, but uh, yeah, I think we, we all understand that it's, it's not a great timeline for us to act upon. But the good part is like, that is not in our control. What is in our control is like how we can use that service that affects the business in quarter four, quarter one, uh, because quarter four I will still put in terms of uh, the engineering timeline because not the whole quarter of course, but it's like just in a way of thinking that we are taking a big task or big project which is gonna affect a business a growth pretty pretty uh, huge. So I'm just thinking that because now the user will get that those things in their hands in quarter one. Mm -hmm. And just you know, a couple of things that have stuck out uh, to me recently. We uh, an awesome person who is just a supporter of Speak AI. They pointed us to Mercs, which is a way that you find like large contracts for just like government bids and like provinces and instant like large institutions. And it's been so fascinating to read some of these things. And what's interesting about these contracts is they're massive contracts. Um, you know, three, three, four year, five year commitments. Huge level of um, you know, uh, security and due diligence and documentation to even be able to bid on those projects. But like one of the things I'm trying to figure out is like, how can we, uh, how can we create our system or our company to be capable of efficiently putting in bids and actually winning those bids? Because a five-year contract with one of those is amazing. That's, that's, you know, that's thousands and thousands of customers on our, you know, on our base plans. And the, the bigger idea is like, once you get those media assets embedded in, it's very hard to churn from 
our system. Like if you've, if you've spent three years contracting, you've put every single file into our system, how, where are you going to, how are you? And right now, one of the powers of our systems is the analysis capabilities and also how we format and structure data. And really there's no way to just like export the way we've done it and put it into another system because of how deep the analysis part is and the way, so like there's that part that is like really sticking out to me. And, you know, we probably don't have enough validation uh, uh, or, or like enough customers to interview to figure out what that process looks like. But we've gone through a couple of ringers with <laughs> universities and stuff to, to make, to even try to try to get there. The other piece that's like, you know, we're running out of time here today, but like we're starting to see some of these wonderful alternative pages that Nihal has built starting to drive customers in. And what emerges to me is that there are some things that we're differentiating on. One of the great questions that Nihal asked is like, why aren't you just going to Amazon? Why aren't you just going to Google? Why aren't you going to Microsoft? Uh, you know, like why, why is that? And part of it seems to be part of it is the support, the integrated abilities, um, not every team has dedicated developers to be able to manip manipulate sort of the platforms that these companies have built and put it into an interface. We have that interface, which opens up a lot of capabilities. And, uh, uh oh, I lost where I'm going on. I got too, too deep into the platform capabilities, uh, but I got it. <laughs> but the other part, oh, the other part is just like, also, sometimes I still feel like our company or our system is like a building block. And I don't know if that's how we want to look at it or if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like we even had a demo request coming yesterday and another demo request coming today. And it's like, oh, this system is really valuable, but can it do this? Like, wow, can you transcribe, for example, in a medical scenario, it's like, can you transcribe this and then automatically turn it into a SOAP assessment that doctors and phys physicians use? It's like, we can do that. Do we want to do that? Like, that's what we sort of keep getting is like the platform is here. Can we tailor the output or can we integrate it with this system? And, I, and one thing that Leon asked to me, that last week was like, when are you going to stop building? That was a question that really like stuck out to me. Uh, I, I don't, I just thinking about that. I was like, when are we going to stop building or when are we going to stop building things that we think, or when we are just listening to customer demands to satisfy projects that then that iterates back into the system. So just another, that really stuck out to me, Leon, is just like, when are you going to start, stop building and just refactor uh, or, or make the, the core product and offering better is the core product and offering good enough as it is today to give you the business and the growth that you want. Sorry, Tyler. Uh, I didn't mean to, um, to make it stick out for, for no, that was a great question. It was an awesome question. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't like, a, it, it wasn't a punch thrown at, at speak or, um, or the builders here at speak, but it's more, it's more in line with as a very lean and early stage team, we only have a certain amount of time and resources. So usually like, you know, we run some experiments, we expand a little bit and then we use the learnings and we, then we shrink it in. Right? We like, we focus on one thing and tackle one thing. And then, Based on that, then we expand a little bit more, build a little bit more, and then we, we look at what we want to target. Um, and my personal opinion about Speak is that it feels like a platform of a bunch of products that were designed for different use cases. Um, and one of the reasons, again, if you want to think maybe counterintuitively uh, or, or, um, or sorry, reverse psychology of why they keep asking us if we can do this, if we can do that, is because we're not clear about what we can do. Um, whereas if you think about other products, it should, it should be clear and Nihal, maybe this is more of the USP part. When you talk about Otter, you know what they can do and you don't have to ask them, can you build this for me? 
Whereas like, we just don't have that brand image or that, that um, clearly defined value proposition where we can say, we are this. And if you ask us that question, that means we're not clear enough about what we're offering. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't think we directly want to turn, you know, turn into this consulting firm that just keeps building. I mean, it's nice when you're iteratively building the platform to be better, but uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great point and, and something to, to think about. And it's also like, what can we not do? Or when, you know, we're getting better at it, but when someone asks us, can you do this? It's like, as Vatsal and I now say, we'll put it in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> that'll go on the road. That will come when it comes, if it makes sense in our roadmap. And if you, if that's not a good enough answer for you and you truly want it, then let's build a contract that makes sense for everyone. And that we're all excited about. Let's not, you know, let's not, we're not, we can't keep, you can't keep trying to fulfill and make everyone happy. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if they're not giving us the resources to be able to invest in that and grow the company so we can do a better job on the on the final output. But then it's also on the other side, right? How is like, for example, if you see the same request from out of tens, like eight users or eight customers, that means something is happening here. It's like something they are really looking for within this product, not the separate product. And another part is like, is like this is sort of a mold which we can this is basically we can mold in any way we want at this stage because still it is like still it's two and a half year not that much but still it's two and a half year it's like sometimes it takes five years to get that stage of that branding is like okay now we know that this is the company who does just the analysis or just the transcription uh, or maybe just the social media market, right? So, I mean, that's, that's sort of a piece which also enable business to get that level because it's like little raw. It's like how, which direction you want to go in. It's like, where do you see the major growth? Like the two, two, two weeks back, you talk about like, let's say how you're going to make $100 million in five years. So it's like, that's a sort of a same question. It's like, okay, if you take the contract, is it going in that direction? Yes or no? If not, that means, okay, something to think about here. Mm. Okay. A couple minutes left here. Anyway, that's, we didn't quite get to one of your topics here. I don't know if you want to sh- shove this. To, that seems like yes, a- Yes, we can. For an- sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll, we'll- Perfectly fine. <laughs> it's a pretty good topic. I was just think, talking about uh, uh, about the team and the culture. And it's like, I was in the, one of the broadcasts with the Netflix co-founder in on the clubhouse. It's like pretty, pretty interesting. And, and other couple of points just wanted to share with you. Okay. Well, okay. Let's, we'll expand that in a larger discussion one day because it's a very important thing. And um, anyone else have anything else here today before we wrap up uh, Office Hours 21? We all know. We all know. No, it's all good. Oh. Okay. Lots of good stuff coming. Thank you for anyone who watches this, listens, if we transcribe it and reads it. That's a, we'll clip this maybe. Um, we'll share some clips out. Uh, that's been wonderful. And uh, look forward to some lots, lots of good stuff on, on the way. So thank you very much. Thank you.